Lord, thank you for your word, and God, we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, make your book come alive to us like never before, God. Open our eyes, Lord, to your workings and who you are, how great you are, how powerful you are, Lord, and how you are, El Olam, our everlasting God. You see everything from the beginning and to the end. You are beyond time, Lord. And as we look into this chapter, God, I pray that you impress those things upon our hearts today. And may that bring comfort may it bring peace and security and lord may our may it increase our faith lord may your word increase our faith and our trust in you this morning so lord bless this time anointed god with your holy spirit and we ask this in jesus name amen amen all right well praise god for the technology, right? Even right now as we're connected to be able to live stream our services online with video, right? Not just audio, but we, we have, God has blessed us with this technology in this day and age where we can actually see the person speaking. We're not just hear the worship, but we can join together on video, on our tablets, on our TVs. But did you know years ago, not everyone believed in it? And some made some wrong predictions that never came true. For example, in 1946, Daryl Zanuck, the co-founder of 20th Century Fox, said this, Television won't be able to hold on to any market it captures after the first six months. People will soon get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. I think that's funny because what do we do? We stare at our phones. Huh? Sometimes I wonder if our animals look at us like, why do they keep staring at that thing? You know, nothing's going on, right? In 1977, now, Ken Olson, founder of Digital Corp, said that there is no reason for any individual to have a computer in his home. Well, how you like that? Praise the Lord, we have computers now, right, at home that we use and even live stream now. In 1995, the founder of 3Com, Robert Medcalf, he said this, I predict the Internet will soon go spectacularly supernova and in 1996, catastrophically collapse. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Look how much we rely on the internet now, right? Amazing, yeah? In 2005 now, the co-founder to YouTube, Steve Chen, who actually sold it to Google a year later after he said this, you know what he said? There's just not that many videos I want to watch. <laughs> Crazy. How many of you watch videos? Yeah, go on YouTube or, or your Facebook or catch videos here and there, Instagram, all this, right? Crazy, right? We're into videos, aren't we? Then listen to this. In 2007, Steve Ballmer, uh, the CEO of Microsoft at that time, he predicted this. There's no chance that the iPhone is going to get any significant market share. Crazy, right? I mean, we use our iPhones, our, our, our phones, smartphones all the time. Some of you are even watching right now on your phone. Well, we can look back in history and see how wrong these guys were, right? Today, we have our computers at home. We have our phones in hand. And to be able to video live stream right now as a church during this lockdown, what a blessing that is, even though these, these guys didn't see it. Well, as we return to our study through Daniel, 
God gives Daniel future prophecies about the world and Israel, which, you know what, we can look back and we can see that it all happened according to the written word. I'll tell you, it's amazing to see prophecy come true when you look back on history. So, this morning, I've titled our message, Prophecy and History. And this is part one, by the way. Prophecy and History, part one. We're going to do part two next time, but we're, we're going to be seeing this. And part one is our first section here in this prophecy that was given to Daniel. We're going to be studying Daniel chapter 11 from verse 1 through 20 this morning. From verse 1 through 20. I, I believe I'm going to be breaking up this chapter into three sections, but part one today and part two next time, but 11, uh, chapter 11, 1 through 20. Now we're going to see three things here, and that is number one, the word about Persia, though secondly, the word about Greece, and number three, the word about Egypt and Syria. So, prophecy and history, part one here. Let's begin with number one in our outline, the word about Persia, the word about Persia. And here we're going to cover two verses in this first section, for those of you who are taking notes. So, it's Daniel 11, verses 1 through 2. But first of all, take a look at verse 1 with me. Look at verse 1 as, as I read here. Daniel 11, verse 1, it says, And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And we'll stop right there. Now, as we come into verse 1, understand, we begin with the angel speaking. Now, he's actually continuing to speak from the previous chapter in chapter 10. And so as he comes into 11, it crosses over into chapter 11. He goes, and you know what? As for me, you know what? I've been here since the first year of Darius. Remember Darius? We, we looked at that a couple chapters back. And this is talking about Cyrus. King Cyrus, the king of the Medo-Persian Empire. So this angel was with King Cyrus from when he began to rule, from the time King Cyrus first conquered Babylon, the Babylonian Empire, took that, that scepter away from them, and he became the king of the world at that time with the Medo-Persian Empire. So... This angel saying, look, I've been with King Cyrus since the start there. And I was sent, if you notice here in verse 1, he said, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Confirm means to support. So he came to support, to strengthen him. In what way, though? What is he talking about? Well, Cyrus, if you remember, was used of God to bring the Jews back to their homeland, right? He was the one who allowed them to leave captivity, go back to the homeland, and begin uh, building the temple. So this angel, and if you remember last time, I believe it's Gabriel, had been battling for Israel ever since King Cyrus came into power. And that's what he means, I stood to confirm it. I stood in battling with him. Uh, uh, behind the scenes there. And that's what we talked about, right? Last time in chapter 10, we got a glimpse of the spiritual warfare that was going on behind the scenes. And this warfare was against the good and the blessing and the plan of God for Israel. Uh, prayer and the invisible war was the title I gave it last week. And we saw how this, this prince, this demon, this lieutenant of, of Satan's army was stationed in the Persian Empire to try and influence the kings there to do things against the people of Israel. 
And we also saw how Gabriel, or this angel is speaking now, and Michael, the archangel, were battling this high-ranking prince-lieutenant demon in Satan's army. So remember that it was this uh, year, first year that the angels talked about, that he allowed the, the, the Jews to return to the homeland. And that was part of the blessing. That's why there was a, the battle there. And the enemy did not like that the angel was sent there to battle, uh, was sent there to battle this, this prince, this lieutenant in, in Satan's army, to try and keep things going according to God's plan. So, this angel has been there battling from the start to support and strengthen this king. So this is, we, we kind of cross over and kind of connects to this last chapter. So now the angel says, okay, he's going to go on to give Daniel the answer to his prayers. Remember Daniel was praying and then the answer came and the angel was sent. Well, this is the answer to Daniel's prayer from the last chapter and that is, God's future plan for Israel and the world. So that's setting us up to what we're going to be seeing today. So take a look at verse 2 now. Take a look at verse 2. It says, And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. All right, so the angel gives Daniel the truth, he says here. And remember, the truth, the word of truth we saw at the last chapter, that's talking about prophecy. And today, we have the word. And we have this truth in our Bibles here. So, what is this prophecy? Well, that there's three more kings that's going to follow King Cyrus, this first ruler of the Medo-Persian Empire. And the fourth one to come along will be far richer, and meaning, you know, he's going to have more wealth, and then he's going to be more powerful, and then he's also going to stir up some trouble against Greece. So, the prophecy, what we see here in verse 2, the prophecy is the word about Persia, and that's our heading. Now, did this come true, what we're reading in verse 2 right here? Did this come true? Well, you know what? History tells us that it did. After King Cyrus, and there'll be a listing for you guys here. After King Cyrus, his son, number one, Cambyses ruled in 530 B.C. Then after him came Suda uh, Samaritus in 522 B.C. And then the third ruler is Darius uh, the first, Histospis, in 521 B.C. So those are the three that came along. But then the fourth one, number four, is Xerxes who ruled Xerxes who ruled in 485 BC and guess what history tells us he was far richer uh, he was the most powerful of all the Persian kings he was way wealthier than all of them he, he had get this a three million man army and his own navy too and he did go out to stir up trouble when uh, he tried to go and invade Greece, but he failed and he lost. So we see this, that history does show how accurate this prophecy was. Now remember this, we had learned that this prophecy was given to Daniel in 536 BC, which is 51 years before King Xerxes came to rule. Isn't that amazing? I mean, the angel, Gabriel, gave this to Daniel 
uh, 51 years before it even happened. So it's awesome to see that this actually happened in history. Now, let me ask, let me put this out to you. How does this prophecy relate to Israel? Remember, Daniel's prayer was for Israel, for his, his fellow Jews and all. And so God comes in here to let them, let Daniel know, hey, here's some prophecy of what's going to happen in the world with the Jews in the midst of it, right? So how does this prophecy relate to Israel? Well, you may recognize King Xerxes is also known as King Ahasuerus found in the book of what? Esther. That's right. It was after the great defeat with Greece that we're reading about and was prophesied here that King Ahasuerus became a bitter, angry king. But you know what? He found comfort in Esther, who had become his queen. And then we know God used Queen Esther, what? To stop that massacre of all the Jews by Haman's evil plot, right? Hey, I encourage you guys, go back, read it again. Read, read the book of Esther. It's, it's wonderful to see God's sovereign hand in all this. And so, you see, God used this king. God used the Persian kings. And this is the point I want to make here. Looking back, the Persian rulers were generally more considerate to the Jewish people than others. So looking back, the Persian rulers were generally more considerate to the Jewish people than others. And, and, and that's what we're seeing here. That's why this prophecy is placed here about the Medo-Persian Empire. You know, I was thinking about it's like the United States. Remember how, uh, I think it was a few years ago, a year and a half or so, uh, the United States declared Jerusalem to be the capital of Israel. And it, that was against just about the whole world, right? And then la last year, uh, the United States recognized the Golan Heights as part of Israel since, you know, they captured it back in 1967, but the world didn't want to recognize it. But, but President Trump said this, after 52 years, it is time for the United States to fully recognize Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights. I love that. So U.S. has always been there by Israel's side uh, supporting them. And then you know what? Uh, this is something to me very interesting and exciting because it could turn into some world uh, end time events. In July now, there's a lot of articles out there that right now, coming this July, Israel's planning to annex the West Bank and Judea as per the peace plan. Remember the peace plan that went out? It's, and actually annexing uh, the West Bank and Judea is part of the terms for the Palestinians to be able to achieve statehood. So it's part of that give and take where uh, in this peace plan. And, and Palestinians, that, that's what they want. They want to be recognized as, as the, a state, an actual country, which they're not right now. Well, you know what? The world is already coming out against it. Already the EU, already the UN countries are voicing, saying, this is wrong, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that. But the U.S., everyone except the U.S., who is, in one article, said, prepared to recognize the sovereignty of Israel. And so we see this throughout our, 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 these years here, and, and right now in the, in, in the news and all that, 
The U.S. has always been right there for Israel. U.S. seems to be the only one who recognizes that the land is theirs. And it's not for the U.N. or the EU to decide. And I, I, I think that's so true. I mean, it'd be like someone coming into your, your property and saying, oh, you, you know what, the, the side yard, uh, that's not yours. We're going to give it to your neighbor, you know. It's like, what? That's, that's not property. You know, we obtained it, you know. But anyway, like Persia, was so is the U.S. So looking back, and what we see in verse 2, the Persian rulers were generally more considered to the Jewish people than others. Now, if we put together both chapter 10 and chapter 11, you can see the whole picture behind the political landscape, right? I mean, I mentioned this last week. There's a great spiritual battle going on, and the enemy does not want any good to come to Israel. And that's even now, you guys. But praise the Lord that that he's using our country so far, right now, who knows, it might change, you know, in November. But for now, U.S. is standing is with Israel, uh, just as Persia had consideration for the Jews back then. So think about this now. I want to put this in your mind again. Think about how there is a spiritual battle going on behind the scenes, even in our government now. I think, I, I think you can see that in this past year, in these past years, we should say, since 2016. You've seen the battles, the viciousness and all that that's going on. And, and you know what? It's not only in our world situation where uh, countries are against Israel, that behind the scenes there's a spiritual battle going on, you know, going against God's plan. But it's even... For us believers today, Christians today, Satan does not want our nation, our state, our island to be blessed for believers, for the believers' good, and especially, you guys, for the gospel to go out. For Christ's light and his message of salvation to free people from their sins. He doesn't want that. And so, uh, behind the scenes, there's a lot of battle. And just as here, even in the political landscape, there's battles going on behind there. And that's why, you guys, we got to pray for our leaders in the government. First Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 1 and 2. Paul calls on us believers to pray for our leaders because behind the scenes, things are going on. Right now, maybe the, our nation, our, our United States of America is with Israel. Things might change, though. So we got to be praying. Right now, there's there's Christians in different positions of government. Praise the Lord for that. They're helping in, in a lot of these um, uh, 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 policies and laws that are being made. But there's a battle out there. And you know what? Even in the situation we are today, we have to be praying. All right. So this is the word about Persia. We see their consideration and in favor. God used them with Israel. This is a word about Persia. Let's go to number two. The word about Greece. The word about Greece. And this prophecy in history that we're looking here, number two, the word about Greece. Now, we're going to cover two verses here in this section of Daniel 11, verses 3 and 4. But first, we'll look at one verse, verse 3. We're going to take a, take a look at verse 3 here. Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. So, Next here, we have this mighty king. He's going to have great dominion. I mean, he's going to be the next world empire. That's what it's talking about. He's going to do as he wills. In other words, no one can stop him. And as you 
becomes the next world empire, he's going to rule over the Jews too. Well, this mighty king, he's not going to rule that long. Look at verse 4. It goes on and it says, And as soon as he is arisen, this, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others beside these. Now, this mighty king, he passes away. He dies. And the empire does not go to his posterity. In other words, his sons, his family. But it'll be broken up. It'll be divided into the four winds or the four parts. His king kingdom will be divided into four parts. And these kingdoms will not have the same authority uh, like the mighty king ha had. In other words, they're not going to be as powerful as he was. So what we see in these two verses is the prophecy is about the word about Greece. The prophecy is the word about Greece. So we're talking about the Greek empire, the, the Grecian empire here. And what we see in, in these two verses, did it come true? Yes, it did. History tells us that this is Alexander the Great. Now we've talked about him before, haven't we? Uh, back in the prophecy of in Daniel 8 about the gold and the, the main, that main great horn that came up and talked about Alexander. So we know Alexander, he conquered the known world at that time. And, and as I mentioned, not too long after he finished, he died of malaria and alcoholism at the young age of 32, some say 33, but he died in 323 B.C. Sadly, we see in history after his death, all his children were killed as others vied for power. So uh, his, his kids didn't continue, continue on his dynasty. Eventually, four of his generals took the authority, right? They took power in 305 B.C. Uh, they divided the Greek Empire into four parts, uh, and, and they were not as strong as prophesied. So after the Medo-Persian Empire came the Grecian Empire. Remember, we, we saw this in the statue, right? Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel 2, the, the belly and thighs of bronze. We saw it in that other vision. Uh, this was the leopard with wings and all. So these generals took over, and these four generals were this. And this is important because we're going to be seeing their family line go on in this prophecy, in the next prophecy. And these were, first of all, Ptolemy, who took the region of Egypt, Seleucus, who took the area of Syria, uh, uh, Lysimachus, who took the area of Asia Minor and Thrace, and Cassander, who took the region of Macedonia and Greece. And mentioned their names before, but, but take note of... Uh, Ptolemy, who took Egypt, and Seleucus, in the area of Syria, and we'll get back to them uh, later. So, history does show how accurate this prophecy was. Remember, again, Daniel received this vision, what year? 536 B.C., which is 231 years before the Grecian Empire was divided up. Amazing, isn't this, what we see? Interesting note relating to the Jews is Alexander spared Jerusalem. Uh, the ancient Jewish historian Josephus writes that when Alex, Alexander the Great came to the city of Jerusalem after conquering Gaza and Tyre, the high priest met him outside the city, and you know it showed him the book of Daniel. 
I believe he probably showed him like the, the horn of the goat. And then right here in Daniel 11, I believe he showed him this text right here in the book of Daniel. When this mighty king was prophesied to defeat Persia, Josephus, he writes, And when the book of Daniel was showed him, wherein Daniel declared that one of the Greeks should destroy the empire of Persians, he supposed that he him, that himself was a person intended, that's Alexander the Great, and as, uh, as he was then glad, he dismissed the multitude for the present. That's what Josephus writes. In other words, Alexander the Great saw that he was prophesied about in the scriptures of God. And so, you know what? He, he um, uh, left Jerusalem. He didn't destroy Jerusalem, take Jerusalem. He, he just turned around and left it as he is. Amazing, isn't that? How God kept Israel from being totally destroyed. Well, another interesting, I just want to add a, a little side note here to God's sovereign plan. And that is Alexander the Great, when the Grecian Empire came, his heart, what he wanted to do is bring Greece into the entire empire. He wanted to unite them under the Greek culture and the Greek language. So with the spread of the Greek language, it became common. You know what? By the time the Romans were ruling, the Romans spoke Latin. The common language in, in Israel was Aramaic. But all over the world, everyone spoke and wrote in the Greek language. And that's how we get our New Testament. The original writings of the New Testament was written in Greek. That's why I reference that so much. And the Greek language uh, became common there. And for the New Testament to be written in Greek, it was the Lord because that Greek is the most descriptive and beautiful language and it could go deep into these words, more deep than any other language. So, so God knew in what he was doing and in his sovereign plan, uh, the language of, of Greek, the Greek language was, was spread out into this whole time and established back then. All right, anyway, side note. Here's what I want you to see. Looking back, Alexander and the Grecian Empire still worked into God's sovereign plan for Israel. So I'm relating this back always to what this vision was for. It's not just what's coming in, in, you know, in the future for, in the world from Daniel's time, but it relates to Israel. So looking back, Alexander and the Grecian Empire still worked into God's sovereign plan for Israel. Now, you, you can see there's a lot of wars and battles, and we're going to even see more going on. But in the midst of that whole mess, God was still sovereignly working. And he's working in your life, you know. No matter how it looks like right now, no matter what kind of mess it looks like, God is sovereign over that. And he is still working out his ultimate plan for the world, for Israel, for believers, for you and me, down to our, our lives. So know that today. Corey Temboon was well known for a book, The Hiding Place. If you haven't read that, grab it, order it, get it. Amazon might take long, but still get it and read it. It's important. She was a survivor of the Holocaust, you know, in the, the, the camps, the German camps, where they killed many uh, Jews in World War two and to survivor there well after the war Corey Timboom will go around sharing her testimony and speaking in different 
churches and all, and, and she'd all sit down with children, and Corey would carry this tapestry of purple cloth, and, and we're going to put it up on the screen for you. Uh, she would take it out of her purse, unfold it, and show the children how there's hundreds of different color strings, and they're pulled through the cloth, and it all looked like just this big, tangled mess. Well, she told the children, because of our limited vision, this is our perspective of what God is doing in our life. So we question him. But then, Corey would take that tapestry she pulled out, and she turned the purple tangled mess around to the other side, and that would reveal, and we'll show you this, a beautiful tapestry, a crown of gold with multicolored jewels. And then Corey Temboon would say this, this is what God sees from his perspective, a masterpiece. So our lives may may look all a mess. So so even we look at ourselves and we think we're a mess, but you know what? God is making you out to a masterpiece. And he has a beautiful plan for your life. And you know, we can look back on history and just see a tangled mess too. But we see God is still control and he could use that mess to bring about a masterpiece, a beautiful plan of God. And that's what he did. That's what we see with this prophecy in history. And that's what he's doing right now. You know how I've been asking you guys to pray, pray. You know, pray for this COVID-19 crisis. Pray for healing. Pray for, for our people. Pray for provision. And now I said pray for our leaders. You know, and pray for, hey, all of this could be setting up, you know, the end time tribulation. And it looks like a big mess, but know this, God is sovereign. So we pray, we pray for God's plan to come together. And know this, as you pray, have in your mind that God is still accomplishing His plan. And so no matter the wickedness we see in the world, no matter we see the wickedness and evil we see, maybe, you know, in some of these laws and these lockdowns. I mean, I see some other states where, oh, the governors are really bearing down, you know what, on churches, really hard, really bad. Even though we see all this, all this happening, know this as you pray, that, that the world, the wickedness, Satan, he cannot stop God from ultimately fulfilling his plan. Remember, the unwavering trust in the sovereign God of history. Remember, that's what we, we put our faith in, right? The unwavering trust in the sovereign God of history. Remember, that's our theme. The unwavering trust we, we see here and we can put in in this God of history. So know that. This is what prophecy in history tells us. Well, let's move on here to number three now the word about Egypt and Syria. So we've seen in this prophecy the word about Persia, the word about Greece, and now we come to the, our third and final section, which is actually the longest section. We're gonna, and we're going to be covering Daniel chapter 11 from verses 5 through 20, but we're going to break it up into sections here. And so the word about Egypt and Syria, let's, let's begin with the verses 5 and 6 in, in this first two verses of this section. Verse 5 and six it says here 
<coughs> excuse me. Then the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he, and shall rule, and his authority shall be great, a great authority. After some years they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arm shall not endure, but she shall be given up, and her attendants, he who have fathered her, and he who supported her in those times. And we'll stop there. Okay. This king of the south, in verse 5, is Ptolemy, the general who took the area of Egypt. And then another one of his princes, which is Alexander, uh, another one of his leaders, the other leader, is going to be stronger than Ptolemy. And this brings in Seleucus, the ruler of Syria. So remember those two generals I told you, hey, keep that in your mind. So this introduces the, the king of the south of Egypt, Ptolemy, and the king of the north, Syria, Seleucus. Then years later, these kings, or actually their kids will see, will try to make an alliance with, with each other by marrying uh, of the daughter of the south, of the Egyptian king to the king of the north, the Syrian king. But it will not work, for this daughter did not retain the strength she, of her arm. In other words, she, she's not going to stay loyal so much to uh, Egypt there. And then she's going to lose her power as well as her father, which means they are going to die. So this prophecy introduces to us the word about Egypt and Syria. The prophecy is about the word about Egypt and Syria. Did this come true? Yes. History tells us this. Now, after Ptolemy, his son Ptolemy II of Egypt, tried to make alliance with Antiochus II of Syria. And that's what you see in verse 6. And I'm going to try and put these on the screen so you, you can kind of follow it. So after Ptolemy uh, came, Ptolemy II, and then Antiochus II of, of Syria, they tried to make alliance. Now Ptolemy II gave his daughter Bernice to marry Antiochus II for this alliance. I mean, this is just like movies, right? You see, oh yeah, we're going to make alliance. I'm giving my daughter in marriage, right? But Antiochus' ex-wife, which he divorced to marry Bernice. Now, what drama, right? Antiochus' ex-wife poisoned Antiochus and the new queen, Bernice, and, and, and they died. And then in the same year, Ptolemy II, the father of Bernice, died in Egypt. So just as the prophecy is written here, all this intrigue happened as God said in his word. Well, the drama goes on. Look at verse 7 through 10 now. Verse 7 through 10. And from a branch, from her roots, one shall rise in his place. He shall come against the army and enter the fortress of the king of the north. And he shall deal with them and shall prevail. He shall also carry off the Egypt their gods and their metal images and their precious vessels of silver and gold. And for some years he shall refrain from attacking the king of the north. Then the latter shall come into the realm of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. And then verse 10, His son shall wage war and assemble a multitude of great forces, which shall keep coming and overflow and pass through, and again shall carry the war as far as his fortress. And we'll stop there. Okay, now, 
When we read in ver- verse 7, a branch from a root, it means a, a relative, right, of Bernice, a close relative, will arise and become king of Egypt. And then this new king will battle the king of the north, the, the, the Syria, the king of Syria, and he's going to win. He's going to take spoils with him, the idols, the metals, the vessels of gold and silver. And then it says, now the latter, which is talking about the king of the north, will try to retaliate, but he's going to lose again. But his sons will later uh, wage war by putting together this huge army, go and fight Egypt, and then take note of how he will pass through that is a goal through the land of Israel. So this prophecy continues the word about Egypt and Syria. So we're continuing on here about these two kingdoms. Did this come true? Yes, it did. History tells us after Bernice, remember, was murdered, poisoned, right? Her brother Ptolemy the third, because the father had passed away, attacked Syria and totally schooled them. He won. So Lucas, who 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 the um, took uh, um, the spoils and everything like that, and 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 took it with them, and then um, um, Seleucus, excuse me, Ptolemy took the spoils, but then Seleucus the second, who was in power at that time, tried to invade Egypt, but but he failed big time, and then later. Uh, after Seleucus was uh, murdered, uh, this is the Syrian king, his two sons, Seleucus III and Antiochus III, two of his sons, built up a huge army and pushed Egypt back all the way to the southern border of Israel. In other words, they, he passed through to that southern border. So you can see all these retaliations, all this back and forth did happen as Prophesied, And you can see, even right here, that Israel was sandwiched in between these wars. All right, let's go on now. Next, what happens is in verse 11 through 14. Verse 11 through 14. Then the king of the south, moved with rage, shall come out and fight against the king of the north. And he shall raise a great multitude, and it shall be given into his hand. And when the multitude is taken away, his heart shall be exalted, and he shall cast down tens of thousands, but he shall not prevail. For the king of the north shall again raise a multitude greater than the first, and after some years he shall come on with a great army and abundant supplies. In those times many shall rise against the king of the south, and the violent among your own people shall lift themselves up in order to fill, fulfill the vision, but they shall fail. Interesting here, the violent among your own people. And we'll get to that. I just want to put that, that into your minds right now. Okay, so what we see here is the, the king of the south, which is Egypt, right, comes in with a great army to defeat the king of the north, Syria. That's what this prophecy is saying. And being prideful of his power, this king uh, of of the south, he's going to cast down, or in verse 12 it talks about, or in other words, he executes tens and thousands. When you see that in the Bible, it means like this huge amount, uh, innumerable amount of people that he massacred. But then the king of the north is going to return with a bigger army than before. And then if you look in verse 14 again, right? Joining with Syria, the king of the north, is the violent among your people. 
who, who's that? Who's your people? Well, he's talking to Daniel. It's Daniel's people, the Jews. So some of the Jews will also be part of this uprising along, go along with the king of the north, the Syrian king. But you know what? They're going to fail. They shall fail. They won't succeed. All right. So did this word about Egypt and Syria come true? Yes, it did. History tells us now, the king of Egypt, which is, remember, the south king, is now Ptolemy IV. And he defeats Antiochus III, which is the king of the north. He slaughtered thousands, history tells us. But Antiochus III returned with another army, 75,000 strong. He, he mustered up a huge army, pushed back Ptolemy IV. Now, history also tells us that the Jews, wanting to get out from under the rule of Egypt, because Egypt was over Israel at that time, joined in with the Syrian king Antiochus III. But they misjudged him. They thought they were going to get their independence like they wanted, but they failed in that, and they were still under a king. John Philip says this in, in commenting of these Jews that, that joined in with Antiochus III. He's, he called these Jews apostate Jews who are, quote, meddling in international affairs. And it just brings into my mind they're trying to make a change without the leading of God. Okay, so you can see all this fighting, all this back and forth between the north and the south happen as prophesied. Now take a look at verse 15 through 17 now. Verse 15 through 17. It says, Now, Then the king of the north shall come and throw up siege works and take a well-fortified city, and the forces of the south shall not stand, or even his best troops. For there shall be no strength to stand. But he who comes against him shall do as he wills, and none shall stand before him, and he shall stand in the glorious land. Isn't that interesting? Guess what that is? Israel, yeah? With destruction in his hand. And he shall set his face to come with the strength of his whole kingdom, and he shall bring terms of an agreement and perform them. He shall give him the daughter of women uh, to destroy the kingdom, but it shall not stand or be to his uh, advantage. Okay, now the king of the north, Antiochus III, who we just mentioned, he put up a siege and he took the fortified city of the south. Antiochus will do as he wills. Again, that term means he's going to do, he's going to be so powerful, he'll do whatever he likes. Um, no one can stop him, even capturing the glorious land, Israel. Then he tried to bring an alliance by giving his daughter marriage to the king of the south, but that didn't work either. So did this word about Egypt and Syria all come true? Uh, history tells us, yes, it did. History tells us the king of Syria, Antiochus III, the king of the north, uh, did a siege and captured Panaeus, which is in the New Testament, you may recognize, Caesarea Philippi. I mean, for me, that brings images when we went to Israel, and, and I picture that now. Then, by 199 B.C., he gained all control of Israel. Antiochus then failed to make an alliance with Ptolemy V now uh, in Egypt, uh, the, the southern king, by giving his daughter marriage. And his daughter's name, Cleopatra. But it's not the famous one with Mark Antony and Julius Caesar and all. It's, it's, it's like, I think she was the first Cleopatra. There's like two or three afterwards. All right, so you can see with this, all this manipulating, all this scheming and plotting did happen as prophesied. 
All right, lastly now, verse 18 through 20, our last part here. Afterward, uh, as, uh, as for today in this prophecy, afterward he shall turn his face to the coastlands and shall capture many of them. But a commander, interesting, shall put an end to his insolence. Indeed, he shall turn his insolence back upon him. Then he shall turn his face back toward the fortress of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and shall not be found. Then shall arise in his place one who shall send an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom, a tax collector basically. But within a few days he shall be broken neither in anger nor in battle. And we'll stop there. Now, Antiochus turned now to conquer the coastland, but he will not succeed for a commander of the enemy army will stop him and end his insolence. Let's talk, that means scorn. Antiochus III will turn back home in defeat, and then it says here he'll stumble and fall. In other words, he'll fall from his power and die. Then another ruler will rise up in his place, will put a heavy tribute, taxation on everyone, but he will be broken. In other words, he will die, but he's not going to be killed in anger or in battle. So, this word, we see about more focus on Syria. And did it come true? Well, again, yes, it did. History tells us that Antiochus III attacked the coastlands of, you know where? Greece and Asia Minor. He had a 300-ship army. And then the, in an effort to negotiate like a ceasefire, you know, like today, uh, the Romans sent ambassadors to Antiochus, but he put him down. He goes, you guys, get out of there. He scorned them. That was his insolence. So the Romans turned around, and the Roman commander, isn't it interesting using that word, uh, uh, Cornelius uh, Scipio led this army of Romans, uh, combined army of Romans and Greeks, and defeated Antiochus III. Well, Antiochus went home defeated. Later, uh, as he was trying to pillage a pagan temple, this mob of people of that city, they killed him um, and, um, and in anger. They killed him because he was trying to grab um, things to pay taxes to Rome since he fell. And so that was his fall from power. Well, then his son, Seleucus IV, he took over, sent his tax collector, Heliodorus, to collect money for, to pay that tribute to Rome because Rome was like over them, right? Well, you know, in the end, he died. He wasn't killed in anger, you know, like Antiochus was, or in battle. But his own tax collector, Heliodorus, you know what? Poisoned him. A lot of poisoning going on here, right, in history. Well, we see all this thirst for greed and power did happen as prophesied. Remember, this prophecy was given when? What was the year? 536 B.C., which is 176 years before Seleucus IV was poisoned. Amazing, isn't it? The ESV study note adds this bit of information about Seleucus. They say he even tried, Seleucus, tried to plunder the temple in Jerusalem, but decided against it after being terrified by a dream. Isn't that interesting? That's been recorded in history, and it shows God's hand was still watching out 
for Israel. So the last thing I want you to see is this. Looking back on all that was going on in the world with Egypt and Syria, Israel still survived all the chaos. Looking back on all that was going on in the world with Egypt and Syria, Israel still survived all the chaos. And that was a lot of chaos going on there, a lot of evil and wickedness. Zechariah 2.8, the second part of verses, he who touches you uh, touches the apple of his eye. Israel is the apple of his eye, meaning God protects people like we protect the pupil of our eye. I mean, no matter what the political climate may be, Israel as a people, Israel even now as a nation, will make it through. I mean, think about the miracle that happened on May 14, 1948. You know what that was? That was when Israel became a nation again after 2,000 years. Now, there's never been a people group that, that has come back in that fashion. Now they're, they're a strong nation. Now everyone hates them because of, well, the influence of the enemy. But you see, they're still there. They survived all these centuries, all the way to 1948, to even come back together and be a nation again. And we know, right, we've been studying, they're going to be together all the way to the end, even into heaven. So no matter that political landscape, no matter what's going on, no matter the chaos, Israel still survived with Egypt and Syria. And you know what? They're going to survive even now. And know this, child of God, you will survive. Back in history, we see Israel sandwiched between the wars, the battles, the intrigue, the deception, the manipulation, the murders, the poisoning, all this vying for power, the violence, the greed for money, the lust for power. But they survive. Isn't that what we see here today? Isn't, isn't we see in government so much corruption, don't we? Isn't that we see with the wars and the battles and, and the, the fights and arguments going on between countries? And, and even us as believers, we get sandwiched between maybe, maybe uh, things going on with our bosses or corporate or, you know, th- things happening. And, and you can see there's evil wickedness and people uh, being fleshly and lusting for power. We get sandwiched between all this too, right? But just as Israel's the apple of his eye, so are you, child of God. And you will survive all the chaos going on all around you in the world today. Well, isn't that amazing to see God's predictions turn into history? Well, we're going to get more next time in part two of our prophecy in history. And understand this. Before we go, God is not responsible for the evil of people. That's their choice. We have free will to do that. But despite though all the evil things that people may do, and even what governments may do, know this. God is the God over history. And that's what we've dis- we found here, isn't it? That's what we have discovered here. You know, I read of some a- accidental discoveries, and I'll close with this. A Chinese bowl was bought for $3, like uh, I think in a swap meet or something, and it was discovered to be a treasure from the Northern Song Dynasty, and it later sold at auction for $2.2 million. Oh, 
Can you believe that? What an investment there, right? A California family stumbled on a can of ancient gold coins in their backyard. They then found and discovered that it was valued over $10 million. You'll probably start digging up your backyard now. Huh? <laughs> Uh, lastly, in 1991, a picture frame now was bought for $4. The swap meet shopper found this old document uh, inside this picture frame, and he didn't think a lot about it, but he, he, he just put it aside and forgot about it until two years later, a friend just happened to see the document, investigated its origin, and he discovered that this $4 frame that he bought at some swap meet had hidden a first edition copy of the Declaration of Independence, well worth uh, uh, over $1 million. Well, don't let this chapter go by without discovery. In the pages of our Bibles here and what we saw in this chapter, we have found a treasure that is more valuable than any material thing, any monies. This will increase you know what, your faith, and that's more valuable than anything. This will increase your trust in God, and that's probably the most valuable thing to you right now. This proves to us that God's prophecies do come true. And that's what we find in this look at prophecy and history. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning, God. How incredible it is to see your prophecy given like, like almost over 2,000 years ago and then come true in, uh, in the future of David. And as we look back on history, Lord, we see to the detail, how precise and accurate your, your word is. And if your word is precise in that way, then we can trust you in your promises. If, if you fulfill these prophecies, you will fulfill, God, your word to us. And Lord, we know you are here, that you, you are taking care of our future just as your sovereign over the future of Israel, that you are looking out for us, that you are there for us, and you are uh, ultimately in sovereignty and control over everything that's going on in our lives. And God, give us peace in that, Lord. Give us trust in that, Lord, in you and in what we see here, God. And let our faith hold on no matter what we see, no matter what the news is saying, no matter, no matter what our fear wants to do with us, God, let our faith be strong because of the hearing of the word and, and faith uh, comes by hearing the word and we've heard your word and we heard your voice today lord so god i pray you minister upon our hearts even as we move into our time of communion right now and lord i pray for anyone right now who never have accepted or received you that they would call out to you asking for forgiveness lord that they would come to your cross and find, Lord, that salvation because you are Lord and you are our Savior, because you are God who came to this earth as a human being and died on the cross. And I pray for anyone here that they would right now give their heart and life to you and accept you into their heart. In Jesus' name, amen.